All right, Numbers chapter 11. It's about complaining. Uh, if there's a good New Year's resolution, this would be the one. And it isn't that important that you lose weight, because that doesn't go on into eternity. Who cares? Uh, or anything else, for that matter. But complaining, that's a good one. If I could get this down, um, if I could really receive chapters 11 and 12 here, I'd, I'd go a long way. Um, we start off with a lot of complaining, and it's everybody, including Moses. And um, God works it out. Um, he begins in verse 1, now, when the people complained, I mean, we just got off last week, or I guess it was two weeks ago with the silver trumpets and departing from Sinai, and rise up, O Lord, let your enemy, and they were following the fire and following the smoke and learning how to pack up and set up the tent. Um, and the very next verse is, now when, now, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, for the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched, so he called the name of the place uh, Tabera, because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. Now, here's what we believe is the story and how that all went down. That was a synopsis, um, and here's, the, here's what happened. Now, the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense cravings. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. This had been going on for a while. Complaining starts with a couple people, usually, usually one, then it spreads. It's very contagious, complaining is. And it's now worked its way through the entire camp to where they no longer were thankful for the manna that God had provided, but they were uh, remembering what Egypt had provided for them. The story being God brought them out of Egypt for a reason because they were complaining about Egypt because of their slavery, and that's a good thing. You know, that's what you do cry out to God for, is for deliverance. But um, sometimes, uh, as it can happen with anybody, you forget where you were, you forget what God's delivered you from, and you begin to complain about even the place he's taking you to next in that deliverance. And so that's where they are. They had yielded to intense cravings. That's probably the most important part of that section, intense cravings. Our body has lots of needs and appetites that's trying to get our attention most of the time. It's very difficult to have even a spiritual time with the Lord because our body is constantly telling us it needs something. It's, it's relentless. Whether that's to go to the bathroom or whether that's to eat a food or whether that's for sleep or any other kind of appetite you might have, I guarantee every time I sit down to read the Bible, one of those cravings comes up. Aren't you sleepy, you know? It is awfully early in the morning. You could just hit snooze and get up 30 minutes. You know, all those things. Or aren't you hungry? Don't you think you hit? <clears throat> and I pay attention most of the time, unfortunately. I don't fight it. I don't even notice it half the time. I get up, I find myself at the fridge. And I'm like, wait a minute, I was just reading my Bible. How would I get here? You know? We have intense cravings. And, and if we're not careful, um, they can become intense. Um, not just an appetite, but something that actually takes control or actually forces us to do things we wouldn't normally do. That isn't something you'd do in secret, something you'd do in the dark, maybe. And these intense cravings have come to the point that they were all complaining about it, and there is safety in numbers a lot of times. Sometimes we feel we're justified in our cravings when everybody's craving the same thing. It's not just me. 
Bob, the neighbor tent, he's craving this stuff too. I mean, this is a consensus among all of us. And it spreads when we become justified, or we think we do anyway. And they begin to remember the things of Egypt. And that's always a dangerous thing. That's a good litmus test for this craving. Is it a true complaint? Yeah, I was thinking about this. I'm like, well, is all complaining bad? I mean, some complaining moved to action, actually caused some good. Our country was birthed off of complaining. I mean, the tea party. We, you know, we dumped tea into the Boston Harbor. That, that turned out okay, you know. Uh, there was some complaining about taxes. It moved us to action. Not legal action, but action anyway. And here we sit. And so it isn't that. Um, these are things that cause us to want to go back to where God delivered us from. These are cra- That's the litmus test. Is where, if I was to get this craving, if I was to satisfy this craving, where, where would I have to go? What would I have to do? Where would I stand with God? Would he be able to come with me in this craving? Um, and so they have these. And they begin to cry out. And of course they cry out as the mixed multitude. And the mixed multitude, that, that's what they mean. Is some are Israeli and some are the folks that came out of Egypt with them. If you remember the story, we don't want to rehash the whole thing. But it's not all, all the nation of Israel. There's a bunch of people there, and it's this mix. And we can get lured into that. The yelling and the screaming and the protesting about where we are and where we should be and all these things. It actually isn't really what we want, but it's a craving. It's a complaining we've caught on to. And so they begin to do that. They begin to get to that place. Um, and then the second part of the litmus test is not only where does it take you, but what do you leave behind? And what they're going to leave behind is the manna. The manna is what God's provided for them. It's become bland. It's become boring. It's become, um, well, less in their eyes. They loathe it, basically. They loathe this worthless bread, they'll say later on. And so verse 7, they describe, Moses takes the time to describe why it is that they're tired of the manna. Verse 7, now the manna was like coriander seed. And it's color like the color of bedillium. Not very spectacular, not very flavorful, okay? But sustaining, nonetheless. The people went about and gathered it, ground it on millstones, or beat it in the mortar. And that's one of those, you know, like you see a, a pharmacist or something do. You get the, it, when you see a pharmacist symbol, they have that bowl and the, uh, that's this. So they grind it up into that. Cooked it in pans, uh, and made cakes of it. And, it taste, and its taste was like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. Now, I like pastry, but not the pastry that's good for you. It's like pastry soaked with honey or sugar or some kind of frosting on top. You know, this is not that kind of pastry. This is more like a croissant with no butter kind of thing. It's just, you know. So he's trying to paint a picture here of, you know, it wasn't leeks. It wasn't onions. There weren't a whole lot of spices involved. Um, and certainly no protein necessarily. I mean, there's no uh, animal protein anyway. And when the dew fell on the camp in the night, the manna fell on it, so it's light. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. He's upset because they're upset with him. We don't like Egypt, so we brought him out of Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt, you know, there's a frustration there. I mean, not that God gets frustrated, but there's a, I guess I, kids don't get spoiled because you give them gifts. Kids get spoiled because they're unthankful. That's a spoiled kid. A, a kid can get a thousand gifts at Christmas and be very thankful for it. He's not spoiled. That's not spoiling. Spoiling is when they look at it with disdain. 
and they're not thankful for that. And I'm amazed when I see things like that and people say, oh, that you're just going to spoil that kid rotten. No, they're very thankful for what they have. They're very grateful we've taught that to them, that it isn't automatic, that these things don't come naturally. But when there's a blessing, there's a blessing, and you need to be thankful for it, and they are. And then that same person that complains about that spoiling of the child that they assume you're doing complains about what God isn't doing for them. When God has blessed us with so much around us, all we have to do is open our eyes and look and be thankful for it. So the spoiled, rotten kid ends up being the complainer, generally. And so that's what God's upset with, is I've got some spoiled kids here. I don't mind blessing them. I don't mind giving them rain, sunshine, all the food they could ever want every day that they don't have to work for. They just go pick it up every morning. I provide them with water. I'm giving them safe shelter in the middle of the desert. I'm taking them to a promised land filled with milk and honey, and I deliver them from slavery, but they're not happy. You know, that's what he's upset with. So, everybody's at the door of their tent crying. I mean, this is a full-blown temper tantrum. And I'm not sure weeping means weeping. I'm not, I don't think weeping is like what we think of as weeping. I think it's more of a grumbling and a complaining and maybe some frustration and some anger. And you know how it is when a group of or mob mentality gets together and they start thinking we need to rise up and change course or whatever. And so that's where they are. Well, he gets mad, and I can see why. Moses also was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, because he's the guy that's got to listen to all this, unfortunately. He's the sounding board. Why have you afflicted your servant? This is what he's asking God. Why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? (laughs) Did I beget them? That you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which uh, you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. I know, everybody's going, wow. <laughs> That's Moses' prayer. Would you just kill me? I mean, this is how it's going to be. If I found favor in your sight, would you mind killing me today? That's pretty amazing. Exodus thirty-three eleven tells us that God considered Moses' friend. They talked plainly with one another. Now, this is a great example of that. It's just those two sitting there. These, I didn't beget these people. These are your people. Why am I have to put up with these people? They're yours. Moses doesn't mind it when he's got to administrate. Okay, we're going to build a tabernacle. Okay, everybody brings stuff for the tabernacle. And everybody's going, yeah, this is great. We're going to give money. We're going to build a tabernacle. It's awesome. That was a great day in the ministry for Moses. This is not a great day in the ministry for Moses. It switches. It depends on the people. I'll do it. Moses is a reluctant leader, and that's probably a good thing. I remember my pastor saying that to me. He goes, if you can do anything outside of the ministry, do it. Now, he wasn't saying that the ministry is a horrible vocation or a horrible uh, thing to do if you're called by God. It's wonderful. What he's trying to, to encourage me in is if you're not called by God to do this job, don't try. Because you're going to be in your own strength. It's going to be frustrating. You wait for the call of God. Because if God calls you to do this, then you'll not be able to do anything else. And I can see why. Because... It isn't glorious for Moses. It isn't a joy. He was fine shepherding goats by himself on the mountain. 
you know. I'm fine up here. God's blessing it. The goats are producing. This is wonderful. I, I talk to myself a lot. You know, I don't know what it was like for him, but it was good. And then the burning bush. Moses is a reluctant deliverer. Moses is someone that is an answer to prayer for other people. And that's where this comes from. Look, I was fine. You called me to do this. You told me to go get them. So I did. And I brought them out. And now they don't like it. They didn't like it when I was there. They were upset with me then. When is this going to stop? That's it. That's the difference. It's, it's always going to be like that for Moses. It's never, ever going to change. That's ministry. That's how it is. You're simply serving God by serving people. And so he gets to this place where he's just going to have it out with the right place. You know, complaints need to go up the chain, not down. And so he cries out to God. Look, these are your people. You begot them. I didn't. I don't have the ability to feed all these people. I can't answer their needs. I can't fulfill their needs. They think I can, but I can't give them what they're asking for. I mean, it's impossible for me to produce millions of tons of meat for these people, obviously. I mean, he's stating the obvious. God knows this. Moses knows God knows this. He's just trying to make a point. And so he complains to God. He kind of joins in, but with a different complaint. So everybody is complaining here. Everybody is. So verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, this is his response, gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take of the spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. It's important to pick up on. He, this isn't something you can take and apply to the world. You can't say, okay, see, now there's a CEO, and then you've got a bunch of vice presidents. And you see, you're, we can't miss the most important part of this. I'm going to take some of my Holy Spirit off of you and give it to them. It's by the Spirit that Moses is able to do anything. Moses is called to this ministry. And if you want other people to help you, they have to be called to this ministry. They can't just be delegated. You can't just give them tasks because they'll do it in their own strength and they'll fail every single time. They've got to be filled with your spirit. So I have to do this. You can't do this. You can't just pick. They can't just pick. It's not an ambition thing. This is so contrary to the world system. You just show up here, bring the elders whom you think, and then I'm going to anoint them and call them into the ministry, and then they'll be able to do the ministry. But that's the only way it works. And so that's what he does. Then you shall say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat it. You shall eat, not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? It's almost like you want to take that prayer out back at this point. You know? Um, no. You know, can I, can I retract? No, you can't. What God's upset with here, and he makes it very clear, you're upset that I've delivered you. That's what makes him upset. You're upset that I've answered your prayer. You're upset that I brought you out, but it isn't the way you thought it was going to be. 
I sent you a deliverer, but he's not performing like you thought he should perform. And so you're complaining to me. He's upset. The, the problem is, who will give us meat to eat? That would have been fine if that was the question. It's the second part there that he says, for it was well with us in Egypt. No, it wasn't well with you in Egypt, he says. You think it was well with you in Egypt? That's not what I heard. That's not why I came. That's not what moved me to action to save you, because everything was going great there. You were slaves, you know, but they don't remember that. So I'm going to give you what you've asked for. That's about, I'm going to give you what you've nagged me for, probably a better way to put it, until it comes out of your nose and you get tired of it and it becomes loathsome to you. And sometimes that's the way the world works. That's what has to happen for us. I try to, you, know, you try to witness to people, you try to, you try to help them, you try to do whatever you can do because you're just a person and you're called by God to give them, give them his word, but you can't make them, you know? The world has to become loathsome to them to where they look someplace else for their help, that they look a little higher, that they look to their Lord. And so they get what they've nagged God for. I'm going to give it to you. Now, we've discussed this thoroughly in 1 Corinthians 10 on Wednesday nights. You can get the CD. I don't want to spend too much time on it. But when we begin to lust after our flesh and ask God to fulfill the needs of our flesh at the expense of the Spirit, um, if we complain long enough, he may answer that prayer, unfortunately. And we'll be full up to our nostrils and say, why did I ever ask that? Why would I ever nag God for that? You know. But this is what's going to happen. And Moses said, the people whom I am among are 600,000 men on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? Now he's getting smart. It, it would be one, you could read this differently if he hadn't said the second part. You could read it like, there's like 600,000 people. Do you want me to slaughter all the cows? Because I, I think that's about the only way we can get this done. That's not what he's saying. Based off the second part of that question, um, when he says, or shall all the fish of the sea, that's, that's the key. Or shall we drain the seas with all the fish, because that's the only way you're going to feed them? He's being smart with God. Talk about a New Year's resolution. God, please let me just keep my mouth shut, you know? I don't know if a zipper's good enough because that can be opened, you know? And the Lord said to Moses, he's a gracious God, has the Lord's arm been shortened, Moses? Look at them go back and forth. Look how real this is. Are we going to drain the sea, God? Has my arm been shortened, Moses? I mean, they're talking like friends. And part of me likes that, and part of me is embarrassed, you know? I want to be a friend of God, but I want to be a friend, I want to be friendly with God, you know? I don't want to be sparring with him and get away with it, which is what Moses is doing right here. Has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. I'll show you. Watch. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tabernacle. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took of the spirit that was upon him and placed the same upon the 70 elders. And it happened when the spirit uh, rested upon them that they prophesied, although they never did so again. 
There was an evidence. There was a baptism of the Holy Spirit here in the Old Testament. These guys were always elders. They were always leaders. They were always helping administer, but they were not doing it in God's strength. They were doing it in their own. And it was frustrating and tiring, and they would complain and everything. But now they've been filled with the Spirit. They begin to prophesy as soon as this happens. But they never did it again. So this gift of prophecy was a one-time thing, just a manifestation of the Spirit that came upon the people that were baptized with the Spirit. So, but two men of, of, of the folks, there's, there's a bunch, but only two of them didn't show up, had remained in the camp. The name of one is, was Ildad, and the name of the other was Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now, they were among those listed, but who had not gone out to the tabernacle, yet they prophesied in the camp. So it just happened wherever they were. They didn't have a choice in the matter. I'm not going to the tabernacle. Boom. And they begin to, you know, whatever they did. Obviously, made it, it, it was obvious that they were baptized with the Spirit. And a young man ran and told Moses and said, Ildad and Middad are prophesying in the camp. Is this okay? You know? Because look what he says. So Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, one of his choice men, answered and said, Moses, my Lord, forbid them. Moses is, or jo- Joshua's a good guy. Joshua's always looking out. He, he's watching this whole thing. He sees the people complaining about Moses, and he's like, what is with you people? You know, and, and then he sees Moses. He's like, I don't know. I'm just going to let him pray to God. If that's how he wants to pray, that's how he wants to pray. He's kind of caught in the middle. But he sees these two guys over here begin to prophesy in the camp. They didn't even show up like they were supposed to. And it begins to happen. The Holy Spirit he says, you want me to you shut this down? You know, should I shut this down? And Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? In other words, you shouldn't be, Joshua. Don't be zealous to protect me or my personality. God, yes. His calling, his choices, his decisions, his sovereignty, yes, for sure. But me? Mm -mm. Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses returned to the camp, he and the elders of Israel. You know, it would be great if they were all filled with the spirit, because you wouldn't have these problems. They'd all be prophesying. They'd all be content. They'd all be, God would be ruling in their lives. And we wouldn't have this squabbling that's been going on, these vain imaginations and thoughts of returning to the world. Or it's not going like I thought it was going to go. Sometimes our prayers are to, for God to tweak our life. Hey, God, my life is almost perfect, but I've got this sore spot over here, and I need you to fix this, and then it's going to be great. And when he upheaves us, turns us completely over, and changes everything, we get upset. That's not what I asked you to do. I asked you to fix this one tiny thing. Can't you just do this one tiny thing over here? And God says, no, no, that one tiny thing was connected to all this. In order for me to fix this and make it right, we had to flip everything and change everything and start the, you know, from scratch. I'm answering your prayer. He's just not answering it the way we thought he would or we wanted him to. Sometimes God wants to do radical things. And when you pray a prayer, I want you to tweak this. I've had moments like that. I mean, I've had prayers like that that start off really specific, really pointed. Hey, God, there's this one thing. And he doesn't answer it. And I've been, I've been poking him about this for a long time. And so I get a little broader in my prayer. Oh, God, fine. If you're not going to take out that person, not that I pray that, fix it. Do this, do that, or the other thing. It's a little broader. And by the time I'm done, I get to the place where God is in my prayer. I say, God, you know what? Your will be done. Would you just do whatever has to happen to make everything right? 
And those are the prayers he answers. All right, you've got my you know, shackles off. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not your whipping boy or I'm not your, I'm not your stooge. I can do what I want to do now. I'm not your slave. I'm not your genie. Now watch this. This person goes over here and this over here and this over here. And I'm going to flip this over here and you're going to lose your job over here. But that's okay. But then you're going to get over here and you're going to boom, 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 boom. And all these things happen. You're like, whoa, you said do whatever it takes. This is what it's going to take to get things straightened out. This is how messed up it was. This is how tangled it was. You know, This is a big knot you asked me to untie, but it's untied. It's untied. And so he does that. He begins to change things around. So, should I stop him? No. Don't be zealous for me. Be zealous for God. Now, a wind went out from the Lord. And it brought quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp, not in the camp. This is what 1 Corinthians 10 was about. You can get it and listen. Remember, the camp is a place where God resides. The fire is leading them by the day or by night, and then the smoke by, by, by day, and it's covering them. And there is this cloud cover where they're safe, but it's not infinite. There's a boundary. This is where I want you to be within this shadow that I'm casting to keep you protected from the sun and the desert. This is where I want you to be. The quail are a day's journey outside that protection. The quail are just outside. Now, so he brought them in fluttering. About a day's journey on, the side, on, on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits above the surface of the ground. This is where a bad joke comes into play, just so you know. So they're about 36 inches off the ground. And it says that each one, each person gathered a, a homer. Okay. So they're flying in and they're gathering up these quail. I know. It's, it's sad. He who gathered, so they all went out. And the people stayed up all that day, all night, and all the next day and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered 10 homers. <laughs> and they spread them out on, uh, for themselves all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of God was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Wait a minute, you know. This doesn't sound like him, does it? Fine, I'll give you what you want. And he blesses them anyway, and he waits for a response, and they never say thank you. That's usually how it goes with God. No, as soon as they start chewing, as soon as it starts coming out of their nostrils, he starts taking them out. Why? I mean, why isn't he just letting them like he does so many other times? What he's done here, and what hadn't been done until this point, was they have a choice. In the Garden of Eden, they had a choice. There's, there's all the trees. You can have all the trees, just not this one. There's a choice. It's not like I'm giving you 50-50. 50% 50 of the trees you can eat, 50% you can't. It's just one. Just one tree I don't want you to touch, be near, don't eat it, don't look at it, don't, whatever. Just stay away from this tree. Everything else is all yours. And where do they go? The tree that they're not supposed to touch. So God's got this cloud. He's been protecting them, providing for them, giving everything they need. They really didn't have an option. There were no other choices. There was no room for rebellion. This is how original sin starts. This is, this is where sin begins. It begins with not being content with what God has given them, and they decide they want something outside of God's will. And so God says, okay, I'm going to give you what you've asked for. 
I told you what's going to happen to you. You're going to loathe it. You're going to get it for 30 days, but I'm going to set it outside of my protection, one day's journey away from my boundaries, and that's up to you whether you travel out there to go get it or not. And they did, and it makes him mad. God's given me boundaries. He's given us all boundaries. He's given us boundaries of his protection, his love, his grace, his mercy. He's given us a place, but he never leaves us without choice. There's always an option. We can sin. We can leave the protection. We can leave the boundaries. We can go outside, away from what he tells us. This is the safest spot. I'm taking you right to the promised land. If you stay with me, it's going to be great. Simple, easy, always provided for, always taken care of. You're going to have shade. You're going to have fire. You'll never be, you'll never doubt where you're headed. But there's always quail. There's always more than what God's provided for you out there. And it's available for you. And this is a warning for all of us. Don't lust. Don't give in to those cravings. They'll be there because we're still bound to this flesh for now. And that's always going to draw us away. It's always going to lure us away from what God's provided because it's never enough. Our, Our flesh is never. And you know what? Even after they get the quail, they're still not satisfied. It didn't meet the need because the need never stops with the flesh. But they did. And so the plague struck. So he called the name of the place Kirbroth Hatava. I think, because uh, there they buried the people who had yielded to cravings. So we've come full circle. It started off with intense cravings, and they yielded to the craving. In other words, they weren't supposed to yield to the craving, but they did. From uh, Kibroth, Hittavah, the people moved to Hezeroth and camped, at, uh, and camped there anyway. So they get their choice. Now, chapter 12, we switch gears. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman, married a black girl. It's the first time you see that. And they didn't like it. They were upset. And so they begin to complain. They use this as an excuse to complain and to come against him. They didn't talk about it directly, but they talk about leadership. They talk about his, uh, his authority, and they didn't like it but they're mad. So they found a reason. This Ethiopian woman, not supposed to marry an Ethiopian woman, can't marry her. Why not? Anyway, so they complain, and they fuss about it. Um, So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. Now despite the fact that Moses wrote that, about himself. He's a pretty humble guy. I mean, he was. And we're going to see that in chapter 16 when Korah's rebellion begins. Moses isn't so concerned with being on top. He, he, like I said, when we started this, he's always been a reluctant leader. He's always been a reluctant deliverer. He's just doing what God's asked him to do. I, mean, I don't want to speak. I'm not a very good speaker. Fine. Take Aaron with you. I mean, the whole thing. How are they going to believe me? He, he, looked for every reason he could to not be in the ministry. And yet God called him and said, no, it's you. Fine. So he got a couple, he got a stick, turns into a snake, and he got to do leprosy with his hand, and he went and he did it. He did what God asked him to do. And now he's been complaining all through chapter 11. These are your people. They're not my problem. They're your problem. And now these leaders, these other folks, Miriam and his relatives, come against him. This would be a great time for God to say, you know what? He has been complaining a lot, and you guys probably could do just as good a job. So we are going to replace him now. It's not what happens. It's not what he does. It's not what God does. 
There's more going on here than everybody complaining. Suddenly the Lord, suddenly, <laughs> the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. There's an exclamation point. You know how loud God's voice is when he's just talking? <laughs> I don't know what this sounded like, but it spooked them all. I guarantee it. Because it said suddenly. They all just jumped. You know, When I sneeze, I have a loud sneeze. I can't help it. I tried to sneeze softly. I can't. When I sneeze, the whole, everybody in the room, you know, all the kids just bounce. I'm like, sorry. I really apologize. You know, I'm like Horton or the elephant or whatever. And so when God shows up here and says, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting, you can tell, and they knew. God's not happy. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud, and stood in the door of the tabernacle. That's the first time we see that. Usually he's just represented. And he's there. And called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. For he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? It's not about Moses, and Moses knows this. Moses is sitting in the back. He's not behind God going, yeah. You know, he's not doing that. Moses is probably saying, can I give them the rod yet? Can they just take it? Because I've got goats, you know. Me and my father-in-law can just take off like he wanted to do, you know. He's not doing that. God is upset with the fact that the people aren't happy with the deliverer he's chosen for them. They complained, they prayed, they asked God, he sent, now they're not happy with him. They're not happy with the food he's given them, they're not happy with the leadership. This is not going the way we wanted it to. We wanted you to tweak. We liked Egypt, we just didn't want to be slaves anymore. If you could have just made us not slaves and let us stay in Egypt, that would have been fine. There's a whole bunch going on here. God is upset because he's being slighted. He's the one being blasphemed. It's not about Moses. It's not about Egypt. It's not about quail. It's not about manna. It's about them not submitting to the king. It's about them not accepting the sovereignty of God in their lives. That's where complaining comes from. Complaining only comes from my heart when I'm not content with God's sovereignty in my life. Is he my king? Is he my Lord? We say that, we sing that, we pray that. Dear Lord, the very next words out of my mouth better be chosen very carefully. Dear Lord, do what I ask you to do. You know? No, it's dear Lord. Thank you is probably the best place to start. And when you're done with all your thank yous to him for everything he's ever done to you, then ask if you're still able to. Whatever it is that God hasn't completed for you. If there was one person that had every right to complain, because Moses actually isn't doing half bad of a job, I wouldn't think, it would have been David. Remember David and Saul? Saul was anointed to be king. He was the one chosen. He was the one picked by God sovereignly. And David knew that and respected that, even when Saul was throwing spears at him, even when Saul had men chasing him around all over the wilderness. And David was forced to hide into caves. And at one point, Saul was relieving himself in the cave without any of his men around him. And David was close enough to cut off a piece of his garment to show, Saul, this is how close I was to you. I could have assassinated you and taken your position, but I didn't. 
And even that David repented of. I can't believe I cut the cloak of God's anointed chosen one in God's sovereignty. David had a respect for God. Saul was a horrible king. He didn't do a great job. He was mean. He was always thinking about himself. He was doing that. And yet it was God's job to replace him and remove him. It wasn't something that needed to have a petition started, you know? David was a great man of God because he was a man of God. Didn't care about position, didn't care about his missing out on. I mean, there were years of his kingdom that he didn't get to rule. David was chosen by God. Saul had been replaced, but Saul reluctantly gave up the throne. It took a long time until he finally died, and then David was able to rise to his position that God had called him to. But not until then, David knew God needs to do this. This is a calling. This is an anointing. This is something that's beyond political. Moses wasn't doing half bad of a job. Think of Michael, the archangel, who would not bring a reviling accusation against Satan because God had anointed him to be a cherub at one point. Although he had fallen and been, it wasn't Michael's place. This is your, this is your creation, not mine. He wouldn't bring a reviling accusation again. Oh, that we'd have that fear of God and his calling, and his anointing, and his spirit-filled choices that he makes, you know. Sometimes my prayers, my complaining end up being, uh, if you just say it out loud, you know, what you're really saying, you know, God, you're just, you're kind of stupid, and I think I need, you need my help this morning. So let me pray and give you some guidance on what you should do next. No one would ever pray that way. But we pray that way with just not saying the stupid part. I want God to be sovereign. I want him to be Lord. I want him to be king. I want him to rule and reign in my life. I want him to take me places and remove me from places. I want him to rise me up and I want him to set me down. But I want him to do it his will, you know, in his way. I don't want to complain about the deliverance that he's brought to me. I have been delivered from Egypt, personally. J.D. has been delivered. Not Pastor J.D., just J.D. has been delivered from Egypt. In 89, I was delivered from the world. God answered my prayer. I met the Lord. I was absolutely born again, blown away, saved by God. I don't ever want to go back to that. I don't miss anything about that. You know, There's nothing that I want of that. And so I remember that. And I remember that he delivered me from that. I don't ever look back on those days fondly. And it keeps you from complaining about where God has you now. You know, it's an amazing thing what God's done. Sometimes I get upset with the kids, you know. I'm like, oh, what are you doing? You don't do that. You don't normally do that. Let's go. And then they've got to stop and think. You're right. They don't hardly ever do anything wrong, J.D., ever. They're great kids. They're amazing kids. They're super. And this was even accidental. What are you upset about, you know? Well, they're not perfect, <laughs> They didn't do it exactly like I thought. They couldn't read my mind. What? And it causes you to pause and say, wait a minute. You know, you have absolutely nothing to complain about. Moses hasn't done anything wrong. You know, yet, when he strikes the rock the second time, he does, but nothing. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, Aaron and Miriam, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow, 
Then Aaron turned towards Miriam. There, there she was, a leper. I bet Aaron's glad he didn't say anything. And Aaron said to Moses, this is what Aaron says to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, and in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead, whose flesh is half consumed when it comes out of his mother's womb. Fix this, Moses. So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterward she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought in again, and afterward the people moved from Hezeroth and encamped in the wilderness of Paran. Interesting way God went about that. Amazing, Moses actually prayed. They were just telling him, it was a coup, we want you to leave, we're going to lead now. God steps in, she gets leprosy, Aaron asks Moses to pray, Moses does pray, please heal her, and God says, not yet. I will, not yet, because that wouldn't be expedient, that wouldn't, the lesson wouldn't be learned. She needs to feel what it's like. Because she hasn't come against you, Moses. It's not about you. It's about her coming against my anointing, God says. And so I want her to learn, and I want her to remember this. And so he puts her out. This is hard for everybody. Moses is having a hard time leading, doing what God's called him to do, even though he's anointed. But he doesn't. The people are having a hard time following. Everybody's having a hard time with this. Aaron, Miriam, his closest relatives, the one that were, they were there alongside of him, sitting in front of Pharaoh, doing all these great, wonderful signs and wonders. All ten plagues, they were there for all of it. The Red Sea, they were a part of that. The manna, everything, the, the, the rock that follows them around with the water coming out of it. They've seen all that. They're still having a hard time with it. It's not an uncommon thing for us as people to be so involved in the supernatural that we, we forget sometimes. And so it's hard. Is God my king? Is he sovereign in my life? Is he truly my ruler? And is he smarter than I am? You know? Of course, all the questions, we're at church, we all say, yes, he is. Yes, all four. And yet my life doesn't exactly reflect that sometimes. And so before we complain this year, before we offer up um, advice to God as to how he should maybe better meet our needs, just pause and remember this, you know, all of us, um, no matter what it is, whether that's a political leader, um, whether that's a leadership in church, whether that's a Sunday school teacher, whether that's a kid that you're teaching, um, whether that's a coworker, whatever it is, it might come up. Pause for a minute and say, God, is this your will for me in my life? Are you using this in my life? Is this difficulty with me choking down this manna a time for me to be content with what you've given me? And to learn that, you know. And forgive me for ever even thinking about the prayer I was about to pray, you know. God is looking for people that are content to do anything in ministry. He's not looking for people willing to do anything in ministry. There's a big difference. A lot of people are willing. I'll do anything in ministry as long as I'm not there forever. That's what they mean. Are you content doing anything God would have you do in ministry? Whether that's just this, that, or the other. That word just comes up a lot. Is, just, is, is it just what I'm going to do? You know? Is it enough? I bring that up because that's where Miriam and Aaron are coming from. 
They weren't content with what God had given them. The 70 elders aren't going to be content. Korah and the rebellion later on in chapter 16 aren't going to be content. They were willing to do it for a while, but then they made brass censers. We've got to be content with what God's called us to do and do it and bring, bring him glory in it, whatever it may be. And not have that ambition rise up or that advice we might give to God. Is he my king? Is he sovereign? Is he my ruler? Is he smarter than I am? You know, of course he is. This could have been a much easier trip for everybody if they just not complained, you know. And the same thing goes for our walk with Jesus. Our walk with Jesus is beautiful and sweet. He's delivered us from so much. I have nothing to complain about. I'm going to be, I mean, if everything goes south here on earth, guess where I'm going to go when I die? Heaven. No more pain. No more crying. No more sickness. No more nothing that's, that I hate about this world. Nothing that God, you know, none of that's going to be there. So I spend the rest of my life miserable here on earth. It's okay. You know, I have nothing to complain about. So anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you. We'll just say that together as a family uh, in Christ. Thank you for what you've done for us. And we talk about the cross, and we talk about your resurrection, and we talk about our salvation, but the, the, the benefits from all of that, what, what we've been delivered from, our minds are getting straightened out. We're seeing the world with your eyes. You've given us so much grace and mercy. You even gave Moses grace and mercy. When he was just complaining about you, you didn't replace him. You gave him grace and mercy. And so, Lord, we thank you for that grace and mercy that you've given us, the, the, the unmerited favor. We've never earned your favor. We've, we, you have no reason to smile upon us, and yet you do. The blessings that you've surrounded us with, God. And then also the mercy. You haven't given us what we do deserve. You're not punishing us. We're saved. We're as if we've never sinned. We're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. We're actually white as snow in your eyes. That's amazing. And so thank you for that. So whatever you want to do with our lives, God, this is that broad prayer that you can answer. God, whatever you want to do with our lives, wherever you want to take us, whomever you want to put in authority over us, whomever you want to remove from authority over us, you're sovereign. You're the king. You're smarter than us. We thank you for that, God. Help us to just rest and trust in everything that takes place in our lives, knowing that um, you're in control. We've given you control, and uh, we're thankful for that. And so, Lord, help us to be content, not just willing, not just biting our lip and biting our tongue, not, no worry, no anxiety about it, but content where you have us, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.